now to discuss the global market outlook. Let's bring in Jeffrey Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Jeffrey, so good to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Caroline. Great to be with you. So, Jeffrey, we're going to focus on China today and look, take a look at some of the charts you're watching. The Hang Seng closed up by almost 4% today, more than 3.5% today. What was behind the strength, Jeffrey? Well, there's a lot going on in China with easing moves. China is the second largest economy in the world, and they're cutting rates and providing more economic stimulus, even as the Fed and other central banks are hiking rates. There are about 19 easing moves announced last night, roughly 1 trillion yuan. That's about 150 billion U.S. dollars, about 1% of China's GDP. And, you know, growth in is stabilized in China after those COVID lockdowns in the first half pushed GDP to the brink of recession in China. But China sees the rest of the world is slowing down and the world's second largest economy needs more stimulus to avoid a downturn. You can see here the numbers, uh, quarterly GDP numbers, but also a monthly take on how the data is sh shaping up. So this is kind of a kind of a real-time estimate of what GDP is. And it's rebounded a little bit here, but below China's target of 5.5% growth for this year. So they're likely to continue to add more stimulus. So cutting rates and adding stimulus because of slowdown or because of fear of slowing, but also because they don't have to worry about inflation right now. Why not? Yeah, it's funny. China's bucked this global trend in inflation. China's core inflation rate is only 0.8%. Yeah, 0.8%. Unlike, uh, and it's been falling over the last year or so, unlike a lot of other major countries that are being forced to implement high, tighter policy even as growth slows. There are a number of reasons for this outside of core inflation. Of course, China's got to buy energy. They're an energy importer, and they're getting it from Russia, and they're getting it at a discount. Remember, Russian crude is being sold at a discount to what you get from uh, uh, other countries, more perhaps reputable countries, ones with better reputations. And that's also helping China keep inflation low. But overall, China's just not seeing the same type of pressures, in part because they didn't provide as much stimulus during the COVID downturn as other economies did that are now feeling the effect. So when it comes to risks associated with China, of course, there's the fear of this economic slowdown, hence the, the cut to interest rates and the stimulus. But there was also real estate risk. You know, we've been hearing of property developers having financial troubles, people refusing to pay their mortgages until those properties are developed. What's the status there? How big of a crisis could that turn into? Yeah, there's lots of talk about a Lehman Brothers moment in China, but I think that's overblown. It's true, property prices are falling for the first time since 2015. They're now negative on a year-over-year -year basis. That's not something that happens too often. But you know, China's property market um, is, I don't think, a Lehman type of event. First, comparisons to the zero down payment ninja loans in the U.S. Remember, no income, uh, no job applicant, uh, popular in the U.S. in the lead up to the housing crisis is totally different in China. In China, you've got to put a down payment of at least 30% for first time buyers. Uh, it was the standard until earlier this year. And the primary source of funding has been upfront cash while delivery of units, meaning you pay upfront and then you don't get your house or your apartment for one to three years. So it's more like a builder's in trouble here than highly leveraged financial system. Uh, 
And, and second, it looks like only about 4% of pre-sold housing property has been stalled in the construction process due to a lack of funds by developers and the high cost of materials. So that's you know a drop in the bucket to uh, to uh, China's overall housing market. And you know I, I think last, I guess I'd say the lenders are only indicating 0.01% of their residential mortgage portfolios are having any trouble right now, according to Fitch. So it doesn't seem to me like a banking crisis is emerging here. I think investors are beginning to catch wind of that. And that's one of the reasons why Chinese stocks have been performing a little bit better here lately. And Jeffrey, also Taiwan has been back in focus, of course, after Nancy Pelosi's visit. How are investors weighing the risk of elevated tensions? Yeah, I, I, I believe that some of those tensions are now starting to fade. It was certainly uh, brought to light again by Pelosi's visit, and that other members of Congress have continued to to go to Taiwan. I'm not a geopolitical strategist. Markets are hard enough, Caroline, but it's been clear that if Taiwan were to declare independence, China would take action. But that seems highly unlikely to me because the Taiwanese don't seem to want it. The latest survey published in June from Taiwan's National Chengxi University provides some details on Taiwan's sentiment on independence versus unification, and it goes back decades. Currently, only 5% of the Taiwanese population is in favor of independence as soon as possible. The top response in the survey was 29%, and that was status quo indefinitely. And that had a similar response rate to another uh, response, which was status quo for now, and then decide any other outcome at a future date. Those two sum to 58%, making a majority for the status quo, which is fine with China. I think only if we combine that 5% that wants independence right away with those who want the status quo for now, but move towards independence over time, can you get up to around 30% of the population? That's a significant amount, but nowhere near the overwhelming majority it would take for Taiwan's democratically elected leaders to declare independence. So I think the pressure on China to take any military action against Taiwan that would disrupt economic activity is unlikely, at least for the next year or so. But that doesn't mean there isn't a related risk. Let me just add this. There is the potential for a Chinese boycott of American-branded products like cars due to these escalating U.S.-China tensions. GM's Cadillac could lose market share to Toyota's Lexus. Tesla might have to increase exports from Shanghai to make up for its lower Chinese demand. Remember, China contributes half of GM's sales, about a third of Tesla's, so it's potentially a big risk. And it's happened before, back in 2018, when President Trump announced tariffs on Chinese goods. We saw U.S. automaker sales fall about 30% in China for about nine months as a voluntary boycott was put in place. So I'm watching that, and that might be a more relevant risk for investors to consider than the prospects for war breaking out in Asia. All right. We appreciate you shedding some light on those risks. Jeffrey Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.